Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brooks Forsyth. Hey, everyone. Brad Large. How's it going? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Mike Vulcan. Mike, you've been here before, but do you want to remind people who you are? I, I have been here before. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, I am uh, the owner of FreelancerMasterclass.com, and I'm a freelancer and entrepreneur coach. Nice. My buddy, Devin Campbell, has written an awesome book that erases all of the uncertainty around estimating and pricing freelance web development projects. He gives readers a clear, practical strategy to use and shows examples of how to employ it. It includes a roadmap that gets you started with a simple pricing structure and helps you evolve into a more profitable one. Go to raddevon, that's R-A-D-D-E-V-O-N.com slash T-F-S to get his book now. And uh, this time we're talking about marketing funnels. Um, I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with that. I think um, you generally see marketing funnels talked more about when you're selling some kind of product. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's definitely something that freelancers should be thinking about because if there's any mistake that I made frequently as a freelancer, it was not finding my next gig before my current gig ended. Yeah, that's a big problem. Inconsistent prospecting. But with marketing funnels, that won't be an issue if you set yeah. up. Yeah, so a marketing funnel, um, you know, my best month doing marketing funnels was almost 60,000. It was 58,000 and change. And that was just in one month. And this was a funnel, an, an evergreen funnel. And I'll describe to you exactly what I did so you guys can replicate it and your audience can replicate it. But, you know, in essence, a marketing funnel for a freelancer is very simple. And a lot of freelancers try to overcomplicate it. Um, it should be Facebook or Google ad that lands to, I mean, sorry, that goes to a landing page that has some kind of webinar on there. And that webinar is a lead in for a greater service that you're offering for thousands of dollars. So I'll give you my example. Um, As I mentioned on a previous podcast, my house burned down in 2017 as a result of one of the wildfires here in uh, Northern California. Uh, I went through the rebuilding process, but there's a whole world of people uh, called public adjusters. Uh, they're insurance adjusters and they help people like myself who had um, insurance insurance events try to recover money for, for their insurance to get their rebuild. Because as you can imagine, insurance companies don't want to give up a lot of money uh, and their job is to not give it up. So myself and thousands of other people in my area that were affected by the wildfires had to hire a bunch of public adjusters. Well, so I decided to create a marketing funnel for, to attract public adjusters. And it wasn't from a consumer standpoint, it was from a service standpoint. I wanted to help public adjusters make money and get leads. So I threw up some Facebook and Google ads targeting public adjusters. I had a webinar on a landing page that says, hey, public adjusters, something to the effect of, do you want to make more money this year? Um, let me show you exactly how to do that. And I walked them through in this webinar Basically, it was a funnel that showed public adjusters how to create their own funnel, you know, in essence. Um, I showed them how to set up Facebook and Google ads because they don't know, um, by and large. And, um, and I showed them how to position themselves as an expert to people who have insurance claims. And so what I did on the webinar is I gave them just enough information to try and go out and do it on their own. But that it showed them that they have to do it right. It's going to take a long time, et cetera, et cetera. And to hire somebody like me who can just knock it out really quick. And uh, this process, um, they, were, they had two options. They can buy a funnel for 7,500 
or they can buy a more powerful funnel for $10,000. So I blasted it out after scraping the web for some email addresses of public adjusters and sent it out to a few hundred people. And I got six orders of $10,000. And that was, well, one of them was $7,500 and they ordered a couple other things. So it came out to be about $58,000 and change month uh, for me. Uh, and I did that a couple times. Um, I had a $20,000 month, a couple $30,000 months, but you know, if the, the goal here for the freelancer is to, to pick a problem that you can solve, offer a very high ticket solution, but a low cost entry to capture their email address. So you're teaching them something as a freelancer. Um, so that's the essence of what a funnel can be. And there could be many variations of that, but that's the straight line funnel that uh, is called a direct response funnel. So you're eliciting uh, a specific problem that you can solve and you're offering a very low cost solution, like a webinar, a free webinar to watch. But then the big upsell is you position yourself as an expert. That's a direct response funnel. Interesting. I'm kind of, so I'm kind of thinking through this from some of the problems that I have, right? Um, and some of it's service-based and well, pretty much all of what I do is service-based, right? Because it's either advertising or it's, uh, you know, services for podcasters. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. So what, what I could do is the same kind of thing, right? Where I do a webinar on how to start a podcast mm -hmm. and then create a landing page, have an offering there. Hey, look, you know, we'll, we'll, um, you know, ramp up your podcast and, you know, produce it for six months or a year for a certain price. Um, and then the webinar walks through, Hey, here's how you start a podcast. Yes. Right. So exactly. So what you'd be doing is you'd be starting off the, some kind of webinar with a statistic. Hey, 70,000 podcasts were started last year and the average person or the average podcast made $0. Um, you know, it's all about saving time or money. So within one year of working with me, um, you know, I can, I can uh, get you at least $20,000 a month, you know, um, and you build it up to this, you know, after 30 minutes yeah. of a webinar and your services is 5,400. So it's really a no brainer. Like, $5,400, hire me and I'll get you 10,000 and you'll be in the top 1% of listenership of all new uh, podcast starts that year. I mean, you really lead them with like a no brainer offer um, where the value just succeeds. But you, the big thing is you have to be able to deliver on something like that. So right. um, just keep that in mind. There's no false promises on this. So, so what about folks, um, you know, more along the lines of uh, Brooks or Brad that have programming chops, right? It's, Hi, I write code. You want me to write your code? You know, how do you translate that into, you know, hey, I'm going to dollars for your... Yeah. yeah. It's not so much about the code. It's about what, what the code is going to do. So this code is going to help you generate more money um, for the whatever industry or the type of company, B2B company, uh, because it will do this. Like I have this process, like I'll show you what I can do. But um, this, and you could do it yourself. Like you give them just enough information that, yeah, you can hire somebody else to do this, but here I, I'm the expert at this and I have a specific process that will gotcha. save you time, right? So in the case of coding, it's whatever the result of the code is, it's that value that it provides. Um, so if, it, if that code will make this company or person $50,000 extra this year, and I'm gonna hire Brooks to, to code it for me for 8,000, it's a no brainer, right? See, yeah. that's what I'm, I've been thinking about that. Um, because I've been trying to do a, I'm a framework developer, right? So I use Salesforce. So it's, it's basically, uh, once you start getting set up, the, the implementation is like the big part, but you know, a lot of the foundational implementations are, you know, pretty similar from client to client. So mm -hmm. I've come up with a productized service. And as you were speaking to that, I was thinking that's great, but 
you know, my only hesitance with Facebook, Google, or, or LinkedIn ads or anything like that is like, how do I control, uh, like, I'm assuming that there are mechanisms in place to control uh, cost up front to make sure that you're getting an ROI and things like that. Um, yeah. Well, usually the first month you don't get it. an ROI, but um, you're usually just kind of experimenting the first month. But yeah, there are measures that are in control. You can set your daily or a weekly or monthly budget on Facebook so they don't exceed a certain amount. But really the first month you're experimenting with different target types and stuff like that. But after the first month, you should be able to uh, get a two or even three or four hundred percent ROI on your money. So, Okay. That's interesting. So like the first month is basically like from a tactical standpoint, you're just, it's, mm -hmm. it's basically a throwaway month. So you're just going to experiment, see what's well, working, probably do some AB or not, ne not necessarily a throwaway month. I mean, it depends on how much you know about your audience already. Like for example, um, I just launched a direct marketing funnel last week. Um, uh, it's called the Ultimate Upwork Mastery Bundle, right? So uh, it was, I experimented with the price. It was $27 and I wanted to sell 50 of them. Right off the bat, I sold 50 of them. And now I raised the price to $147 this morning. Um, so you, you do a little bit of price because I, I saw my, my, um, my price uh, on uh, Facebook to capture a lead and convert them to a customer was about $25. So really I was only making um, $2 for every sale. Um, which is still profitable technically because it's a course and it doesn't cost me a penny once, once it's made. But um, ultimately the goal here is to make it to where you're getting, you know, a 400% ROI on, on your money. And then of course the, the lead in is for them, for me to purchase the freelancer masterclass, the full course, not just the little Upwork side, side bundle. Cool. That's that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm kind of wondering on the programming front, though, just to get a little bit uh, further down the rabbit hole, I guess. Um, so are you advocating that people specialize on delivering a specific result then? Absolutely. Yes. As specialist, as specialized as you can. So many of my freelancers, I think this is probably the number one issue that freelancers come to me. They, they're afraid to niche. And they pick a niche like, oh, I want to market. I want to be a, a designer in, in B2C companies. I'm like, that's not a niche. You know, okay, I want to be a designer in, in automobile e-commerce companies. Mm, that's kind of a niche, but still you can go down further than that because there are millions and millions of dollars to make no matter how niche you get. Um, you just got to go out and, and find them. And the great thing about this, this age that we're living in is data is crazy everywhere. Like Facebook, like you can really niche down into who exactly you're looking for. And they'll give you the numbers. Like they'll say, even if you have like five exclusions, meaning, or five inclusions, meaning I want to target e-commerce company owners that sell automobile parts in the United States that are um, uh, male owned between the age of 25 and 65. Like that's how niche you can get. And you can... Facebook will tell you, okay, well, you can target 190,000 people in the US or whatever that number is. And then you can run campaigns targeting that specific thing. And even better, if you have two or three niches that are very similar, you can just duplicate that landing page, throw in the same webinar pretty much, and just target um, that ad group with a specific landing page. So you can multiply your efforts. So let's say, for example, then that, uh, you know, going to the Salesforce thing, for example, Mm -hmm. So Salesforce, I think I think that's probably still a little bit broad because, yeah, you know, you have a lot of people that are going to do a lot of different things on Salesforce. So let's say that you uh, niche down to the point where you're, you know, you're building some kind of process, you know, a specific process that a number of businesses need within Salesforce, right? Mm -hmm. um, that you know gets you know certain kinds of companies a return on investment. Yes. Is is that niche enough? 
I would say the niche there would be, well, there's two main problems that I know about with Salesforce. It's how do I automate it? Uh Um, and then how do I build it? Like getting, getting Salesforce started and all that data transferred over is like a big deal for a company to make that commitment. So you could build your thought leadership around you're that specialist. Um, you can help automate business coaches, for example, uh, to automate Salesforce or just consultants in general. Um, you can help transfer and automate their Salesforce process, um, to make the, the whole transition seamless to them. Yeah, that's kind of uh, the the niche that I'm going for is uh, geographic in nature now. I mean, it's it's kind of, uh, I'm doing this in a small market to kind of test it out. But Salesforce Essentials is like their low, uh, off, their low price offering for like small businesses and things like that. So uh, doing the productized service thing, I've, I've kind of niched down to, you know, small businesses in a geographic area. But, uh, you know, even that, uh, I, I'm a little bit weirded out by that niche because I don't think it's very specific as far as a market goes. Small businesses is still huge. There are like millions in, in the U.S. alone. So yeah. just looking at that, it's, it's not great. But by doing it geographically, I'm able to meet with people that have been interested. But going through that whole thing, like if you say, for instance, if you were doing the Salesforce, uh, one of the, the clouds like marketing and, you know, even picking something as specific as lowering your uh, marketing cloud bill every month uh, by proper data management, right? You don't even have to bring up the proper data management part. That's how you're going to do it. But really just speaking to the need that, hey, your bill's probably really expensive every month. Would you like to see if you can reduce it? That's correct. And just keep in mind, though, you don't have to have something that's unique. So many freelancers get frustrated in this process where I have to find a unique niche. There are no unique niches left anymore. There are people in every single sub niche and niche of sub niches you can think of. You just have to be the first one to reach that person and convince them that they need your service. Yeah, I'd also uh, piggyback off that and say that if you don't have anybody in your in that niche, if there's no competition, then, you know, if it's an established or kind of like, you're like, well, I can't believe that nobody's in there. There might just, the the target market might not understand that as an urgent need or be willing to spend money on it either. So having a little bit of competition there, uh, you know, that's somebody going forward and saying, hey, there's already money here. There's gold. Let's start digging. So that's something I've seen as well. Yep. And this is one type of funnel. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Do you you niche um, like people who are looking for Salesforce or people like airline manufacturers looking for Salesforce or looking to reduce yeah. their um, cost on u- using Salesforce. Um, do you niche just by the technology or by the market as well, I guess? Well, that you can do either, but personally, the way I develop direct marketing funnels is I look on Facebook to see what data is available first. I won't determine a niche and then go into Facebook and see if they have that data. Cause if they don't, then that, you know, you want to perfectly align your problem solution all the way through the funnel. And if you can't target the right person from the very beginning, that's a problem. So when you are thinking and brainstorming different niche ideas, go into Facebook and see if you can even find those people on Facebook with on their ad platform. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I'm wondering about, because I'm, I'm in kind of a different situation where I'm looking for sponsors for podcasts. Mm-hmm. So in that case, um, I, I kind of know who I need to reach, right? It's the marketing people at companies that, you know, serve the various communities that I have podcasts for. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of data available in Facebook or Google or whatever? Where Probably I can, not. 
yeah. not without looking, but what you would do is you ad- identify your ideal client of who would be sponsoring podcasts. Maybe they're uh, third-party po- podcast software out there that would help podcasters be better podcasters or whatever the case, or make podcasting easier. Those would be the most likely people to advertise. So then you would run a webinar on, hey, let me show you um, uh, podcast software companies, how to monetize and get greater exposure in 2020. Like that would be, and you'd give like your top seven tips. And one of your tips would be, you know, hire me for this. Um, But you would target specific companies that, uh, that have podcasting software, for example, not necessarily a person. Right. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. But if you have a specific market already that you've been able to serve, I'm just wondering yeah. if there's a way to, you know, back into this. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would have to really know your ideal client. And if it's a company, we're probably talking more along the lines of LinkedIn ads, but um, if Facebook yeah. serves individuals, right? But I mean, what you would do is you would look through the, your client list of who you've provided the best value for and who you really like to work for. And that would be your ideal client. Like people come to me all the time and say, oh, my ideal client is automobile industry. Well, is it really like, is that really, is that just who you happen to get a lot of business from? Or is that really who you provided the best value for and like to work with the best? Like um, a lot of companies come to me that are bigger, maybe eight to 10 million in revenue. And I best serve companies that are going to market or just went to market and looking to build a marketing department. Like that's my niche. So even though the majority of my clients might be, or prospects might be coming to me that are outside of my ideal client, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's who I want to serve. So, mm-hmm. Is there a process you go through to figure this out? Because mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, you know, for example, Brad, he has kind of a, an idea, you know, as far as Salesforce and, you know, mm-hmm. what, what kinds of things he can do for him. But let's say that I'm just a, a programmer. I just started freelancing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got my first client or two because they're my former employer or something like that. Yeah. They were totally willing to, you know, let me transition into contract. Um, and now I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't know where my next gig's going to come from. So uh, yeah. I need to figure this out. How, how do you figure out from there? Do you just guess is, and then figure yeah. it, do you trial and error it or what? I get this question all the time. Basically the question is how do you find your niche if you're new or haven't yeah. a niche yet? Right. Cause usually if you are a busy freelancer, you're working with from clients that are just, wanting to work with you, you're not, you're not necessarily picking them. Um, that's when you know you're a really successful freelancer when you get to pick and choose your clients. But it's a really hard question to answer and the process is different for everybody. Um, it might be as simple as going for a walk and doing some soul searching. It might be as simple as doing some meditation and just getting some, getting some of those busy thoughts out of your mind and just clearing your mind. Um, if you wanna be a little bit more proactive, uh, you can go to a site like Upwork, search the available projects uh, that are available and say, you know what, even if I don't have that job, like that would be a project that I would love to do. Like just note down like what's available out there 
you know, even though they might have, this particular company might have not reached out to you, you're browsing through projects that you would love to do that, that excite you and just note those down. Uh, that would be ultimately your ideal client. You, you just got to find that passion. Like, what do you really want to do? What would so fun that's not considered work to you that you wouldn't mind staying in on a sunny Saturday afternoon and doing a couple hours of work for this particular client? Like that would be your ideal client. I gotcha. And let's say that I figure that out and then I go look on one of the advertising platforms and I can't target them. Then what? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, there are lots of ways to target. It just might not be through Facebook. I mean, you can use mm -hmm. a tool. Uh, there's a website called builtwith.com and there's some competitors. Like if you're looking for people that uh, are using active campaign technology in their website, right? Active campaigns, a marketing platform or Salesforce, you go to builtwith.com, you get that data, you grab their email addresses, and then you can just send them a direct cold email, you. or you can upload it as a custom list in Facebook and, and target them that way. But you need a thousand now on, on Facebook's custom list to start an ad campaign. But there are lots of ways to get data. You just have to be a little creative how to do it. The easiest way is just to go to Facebook and see if there's an existing target for that. But if not, you can create your own target. I gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. I was just going to say, so I, I build, you know, hybrid application, iOS and Android applications with one code base. So mm -hmm. I guess my niche is anyone looking to build a iOS or Android app and save money, you know, only having to have one code base. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that's, but that's, that's huge though, you know? Yeah. It's, it's pretty broad considering that there are several technologies that do it and oh, companies yeah. can hire their own developers to work in those technologies to do it. But what's wrong with those technologies? Are they too out of the box? Are they not custom enough? You know, that's the kind of stuff you should address. And like, here's the typical go-to um, uh, service for something like that. And here's why it's not good. And here's why I'm different type of thing. That's how you would position your webinar without selling yourself. Like I just said it, but you would, you would word it nice, better than that. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And you would also try to niche down to a particular client or industry. It doesn't even have to right. be an industry. So many people are stuck on, I have to pick an industry, but that's not necessarily true. You should pick a particular type of client. Uh, you can do that as well. Yeah, I've found that uh, instead of picking an industry, like the reason I picked Salesforce as kind of a broad, broad niche, and this is, is really lazy because it is huge niche, but picking that one uh, enabled me to focus, get my foot in the door and see what the landscape was like and build credibility at the same time so that I could pivot later. And with like Ionic development or, or app development, like where you're we're doing that, uh, you know, one of the ways that you could just, uh, you know, kind of create that ideal customer profile is by looking at a couple of the benefits that you've provided your past clients and, uh, just like Mike said on, on the, the webinar, just address those issues. If, if this is an issue for you, this is what you're concerned about, then this is what I'm going to teach you about today, right? And by focusing on that uh, problem or pain point, um, then, you know, just by focusing on that, you're going to speak to your ideal clients uh, better. Uh, but the more that you niche down, obviously, the clearer the language gets, right? And that's what right. I think ultimately builds the trust with people is that they feel okay, this person intimately knows the problem I'm having and uh, is speaking directly to that. Correct. And the, the key to all this really is the, the quality of the webinar. I've seen some really crappy webinars. I'm always clicking on Facebook ads and sign up for webinars just to see how the effective ones are and, and what I can learn from them. But there's definitely a flow to webinars that might elicit its own show here, uh, its own episode. But I'll tell you like, 
giving the webinar, the first thing you want to do is you want to set up um, the fact that they do have a potential to um, make money or save money or time. People want to make or save money and, and save time, right? Um, and then you want to position yourself as someone who understands a problem. You want to position yourself as a solution and you want to give them a no-brainer value prop at the end. Like that's the to move them to the next step in the funnel. You don't want to try to sell them all at once, but you just want to be able to give them the next small step. Like for my Upwork Mastery Bundle, I'm just asking them to make a small commitment to learning about Upwork and how to get you know six figures or more this year based on some of the practices that I do. And then really the big upsell is buying the, the freelancer masterclass, which is a couple hundred dollars. Um, so if you position yourself with that kind of flow, I'm sorry, if you create your a webinar with that kind of flow and position yourself as the expert, then, um, that'll be really effective. And, um, I've seen webinars go from 10% opt-in rates to 30 and 40 or 60%. The highest I ever got was 60%, um, to get down to the next step. It really depends on how effective your webinar is and keeping their interest. Right. So you can have a broader offering like your, ma uh, freelancer masterclass, but you're, your uh, targeted funnel is centered around Upwork mm -hmm. and helping people solve problems there. Yeah, Upwork seems to be the 800 pound gorilla for freelancers, right? So that's the one thing I wanted to address. I'll probably do another one soon on LinkedIn because that's honestly probably where most of my business comes from is the way I prospect and get attention on LinkedIn. So um, I probably do one on that as well. And then really the core offering there is from the joint freelancer masterclass, which is general, it's still specific. It's teaching freelancers how to be great freelancers, but it's right. not, doesn't have a specific hook, like a tool that people are used to using to become successful. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so let's say that I identify something, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, how to reach your customers or how to generate, you know, thousands of leads by hosting your own podcast. Let's say that I do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, my offering is, is, you know, well, we're going to, you know, you can do a, what, a 10000 or $12,000 a year uh, deal and I'll produce your show is, mm -hmm. is ultimately what I want to sell them. So well, how do I, how do I construct that funnel, right? Well, I would uh, think about what you want to offer. I mean, you're, the pain point there is like people, people that start podcasts probably want to do a podcast. Um, so yeah. offering something where you're doing it for them probably isn't something they're interested in. But maybe something like the top eight mistakes podcasters have made in 2019 or something like something timely and right. relevant like that, right? Um, so then if you're targeting new podcasters, I'd imagine there'd be something in Facebook where somebody, there's a category about somebody mentioning on their profile or that they're a podcaster, right? So that would be the lowest hanging fruit. Um, now, I don't know how you would separate podcast listeners from podcast owner. There might be something. Mm -hmm. um, in, I would have to do some Facebook you know, research to see how to best target that. But I would set up your ideal client to probably be US based or North American based, right? Somewhere in Canada, in the US. Right. Um, be affluent, uh, meaning a, a business owner, they're using podcast mm -hmm. as a lead source for something bigger, like a consulting contract or something. So they probably be affluent, meaning $100,000 in salary or more. Um, male or female doesn't matter, uh, probably at least the age of 25, if not 35, like you would just go through all the targeting that's available on Facebook and really try to narrow down who your lowest hanging fruit is. And then once you have a predictable revenue source from that, you might say, okay, for every dollar I pump in, I get three in return. You might want to try a different type of targeting uh, because uh, Facebook luckily has something called a frequency level and they, they'll tell you based how many people have seen your ads. So you don't want to get over three or four 
um, before you start exhausting that, um, you'll see that, that ROI go down once it gets to that level. So you want to keep rotating your ads and then rotating um, your targeting as well. So it's a constant moving process there. Yeah, I guess my thought was, um, you know, providing a service where I essentially produce a podcast that will help a business get leads. But yeah, it's entirely possible they want to run the thing themselves, in which case I may be offering something that looks a lot more like a class or something. Yeah, you you have to determine what their pain point is. Do you really want them? Um, do they really want to own or run their own podcast or what's the, what's the real issue here? Like, what are they? Yeah. I think when I'm joining and when I'm doing my podcast freelancer school, quick plug, um, I don't know if I'm shouting in an empty room or what, I don't have any stats on how many people are using or listening to my podcast or what the impact is. So maybe your webinar would be like, Hey, how do, how could you get more insight into your podcast, um, uh, for free or something? And, or let me show you how to, how to do that or the top eight ways to, to get more stats in your podcast. Like that would be interesting to me. And I'd probably click mm-hmm. on an ad like that. Cause I feel like I'm shouting in an empty room a lot. Right. I don't know if it's worth my time as a business owner to do the podcast, to be honest with you. So, Oh, that's interesting. And you know, as a, as a coach, as a freelancer, I'll tell you time is money. So am I oh, spending yeah. an hour or two every week doing this podcast? Am I losing money because I could be billable to clients? Yeah, I stopped thinking about it as spending time or money. And I, I completely changed uh, about eight months ago and just said, what, what is this time investment going to get me back? Mm-hmm. And I have to answer that. If I put anything in my to-do list I, from now on, I ask myself that question. If it's money, I do the same thing. Is this an investment or is, am I spending? Yeah. And for right now, I'm, I'm not doing anything that I can't uh, see an ROI on. So I can see how that would, you know, be addressing a huge concern of yours to answer that. Is this worth my time or not? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking to the, the issue of podcasts, right? I mean, I, I asked you about one marketing option or one product and you brought up an issue that you have, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's another thing is just by talking to your audience, you can figure out what that niche is yeah. and then you can kind of, you know, back things up, up from there and say, okay, so what do I have to do in order to pull this together? Everything starts with the problem. If you don't have a problem to solve, then you really don't have anything to sell. Um, you really have to know what the problem is. And there's lots of ways to find a problem. Even if you don't have, you're an ideal client yet, you're just kind of researching clients. There are lots of um, websites that you can poll people or certain cl- classes of people. I don't, um, I'm not an advocate for any site, but I know of one uh, pick, PickFu, I think it's pickfu.com, but you can set like who you're targeting uh, and their people, survey takers inherent in that platform. Let's say you want to target uh, business owners that live in the Eastern US that are 25 to 45. Like you can ask them specific questions like, what do you struggle with the most as a serial entrepreneur? Or what, what is your biggest fear of starting a business? Or you ask them certain questions, you can get pain points that way. Um, and also another good thing is go to Quora.com the question and answer site. And I guarantee you somebody's probably um, posted some kind of pain points on certain subjects multiple times. And you could just aggregate a lot of the answers you see. Uh, people will answer like, I just go into Quora a lot and I type in pain points for a certain keyword. And there are lots of threads on, you know, what people are struggling with on any given topic. Yeah, it's kind of like Reddit for developers. Like a lot of times you go on Reddit or Stack Overflow and you start looking for problems, issues, things like that, that people are asking about. 
Yes. And a lot of people that go on there, they're, they're kind of into it, but not all the way, especially like some of the, the questions on Stack Overflow. You get a lot of beginners, but you also get like VAs and project managers and people trying to understand. So yeah. you can find Reddit's a lot a of things that too. way. Yeah. yeah, Reddit's a good source too. I just, it's for a younger crowd, I find, and a lot of the threads are sometimes immature. Uh, Core is much more of a professional platform, in my opinion. Yeah, they I had to unsubscribe from Quora. It was sucking too much of my time. That's a <laughs> rabbit hole. It's addicting. Yeah. Whoa, there are yeah. some stories on there that's. Uh, it's just mind blowing. Questions yeah. and 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 the responses like hours have been gone. Great resource of information, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. I'm, I'm going to steer us back on to building the funnel though. So let's okay. say that you figure out what the problem is. You've niched in. You know who you want to target, right? You set all of those those, uh, you know, settings up in Facebook or LinkedIn mm -hmm. or where you think you're going to find them. And then what you have a landing page. Well, there's a manual way to do it. I do it just because I know how to work WordPress and I have an API or API coder on my team. That's cheap. And he does it easily and free or almost free. Um, but really what you do is you set up a landing page and then you'd want some kind of form that goes into whatever CRM system you're using. That's where the APIs come in. You'll need to tie all those pieces together. But if you really want something that's ready-made, I mean, again, I'm not an advocate for this company, but I know a lot of people use clickfunnels.com, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a hundred bucks a month and everything is already coded for you. The templates are done. You just got to fill in your text and you'll throw in your webinar and you're good to go. Um, even order bumps, which are little quick upsells. Um, so for my Upwork Mastery Bundle, I have a $3 order bump where you can order a cheat sheet so you don't have to take notes while you're watching the webinar, right? So um, something like ClickFunnels, you know, they're ordering something, they check a box, they get that order bump, and the payment's taken care of, like it's really just an out-of-the-box solution for your entire funnel. That's interesting. Right. So the upsell, so you're offering a free webinar with a $3 upsell. Well, no, the, the webinar is free, but if they choose to buy the course, then they get presented with a checkout page where, for example, the Upwork Mastery Bundle, which was, which was $27, they can choose to get the cheat sheet for one click of a button for $3. And now they don't have to worry about taking notes. Like it, it takes a lot of work off your hands when you're watching these courses gotcha. and you have all these tips, right? So now they're all the, the notes are taken for you. Oh, that was interesting. No, I was just thinking that if you do have a webinar or something like that, a lot of times when you're building trust in these marketing funnels that you know, you can uh, offer something at a lower mm -hmm. price point to kind of get that initial trust built and kind of yeah. give them an in-between. But I think you want to be intentional about the, the price points on those so you're not setting up weird yeah. expectations, things like that. So I was just trying to fit that in with, with that kind of uh, uh, thinking. Yeah, I wouldn't offer them anything, any kind of money. Don't ask them for any money while they're watching anything free. You're still trying to establish yourself as the problem or the solution to their problem. So yeah, if exactly. you're going to offer anything on that webinar page, make it a download, a free something um, to get them to that payment page. Yeah, focus on their pains, issues, and, and providing yeah. value. Completely yeah, your job is awesome. to establish yourself as the expert that can fix their problem that they may or may not know they had before they came into your webinar. Right. So one thing that I'm wondering about then is, um, I guess I just want to clarify. So yeah. the process that the customer is going to go through is, they're going to see the ad, they're going to click through, they're going to sign up for the webinar, and then they're going to watch the webinar at the end of the webinar, then you're going to offer them something, some product for sale. Yes. 
And, and then, you know, hopefully you're using some system that will allow you to do an upsell, um, you know, after they purchased and then they're a customer. Exactly. The only step that wasn't mentioned there is that the webinar has an opt-in, right? So they have to enter their email. Right. Um, A lot of people make the mistakes of just presenting that, presenting that webinar right there as soon as they enter their email. But what I found is that you'll get a lot of fake email addresses and when those, when you have some kind of automated system like I do, which is going to send them follow-up emails, uh, whether if they didn't purchase and you're sending to fake emails that lowers your deliverability rate and possibly your spam score and whatever email client you're using. So I always like to, when somebody enters their email, say, congratulations, the webinar has just been emailed to you. Like a link to the webinar has just been emailed to you. So if they entered a fake email address and they're not getting that webinar. Right. Okay. So then most of them, or if they really want it, they'll go back in and put in a good email address. Yeah. Right. How long are these webinars? I guess it depends on the problem or. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't make it any longer than an hour. I know there's a popular internet marketer. I think he's kind of cheese ball, but his name is Frank Kern and his, his webinars are three and a half hours long. Like they're excruciating. And the worst part is you can't fast forward. He doesn't tell you how, how long it is. So what I do right off, off the top of the webinar, very first thing other than welcome to this webinar is I tell them how long it's going to last because I, I want to respect their time. The biggest thing that you have to do other than even, even than getting their money is getting their time. So um, when somebody's clicking on your webinar, that's, you have to take all that curiosity. It's like, how long do I have to listen to this? Even if they're super interested, they're going to be thinking that. So dispel that myth, say, hey, listen, for the next 20 minutes of, uh, I'm going to need your 100% focus turn off that cell phone because this is going to be the most important webinar you're going to watch all year, that type of thing. Tell them how much time it's going to take. Let them fast forward it if they want to. I just put it on YouTube and I make it an unlisted um, uh, a YouTube video. Um, wow. So they have the ability to fast forward uh, and all they want. Um, I recommend they don't do that. And I don't tell them, hey, you can fast forward. Uh, but at the very least, you're telling them how much time uh, they're going to need to commit to watching. Yeah, you can increase the play speed too. I always, yeah, yeah, I always do that. <laughs> People yeah. don't do that with me though, because I, I'm usually two times. I talk really fast. <laughs> so. Maybe they slow it down. <laughs> yeah, but my webinar, the Ultimate Upwork Mastery Bundle, is 32 minutes, and I say, listen, all I'm asking for is 40 minutes of your time, and uh, and I, I over deliver by by making it 32 minutes, so they get a nice little eight minute bonus there at the end. All right. Cool. So. Mike, if you, if I asked you, what, what are a couple of like the, the most important things to keep in mind when designing a webinar, uh, what, what just yeah. rapid fire, what would those be? Well, the question was webinar, not funnel. Um, the most right. important thing is, is, um, well, timing, we try to keep it under half an hour because most people who would be clicking will be clicking at work. They're on their lunch break or they're, you know, somewhere maybe on their phone, listening on their earbuds. Right. Um, so, um, you have to, the most important thing would be establish yourself as the expert and be likable. I've listened to webinars that the product and service sound awesome, but I just can't see myself getting behind this dull, boring economics teacher style, like monotone, like (laughs) sucking the life out of me. The energy is so low, like be enthusiastic, position yourself as a solution to their problem. And you should have no problem doing great conversions. If your if your product and solution are on point. Yeah, I think that's really important. As I've done video, it's just be yourself. Like even if I mess up or I'm goofball or whatever, that's that's me. And uh, you know, I have attracted way more people uh, since like ditching scripts. I mean, I write out some topics and things, but just being yourself is going to naturally attract the people that are going to like working with you anyway. That's right. So it, that's I think I'm glad you brought that up. 
Yeah. They're buying into you more than they're buying into the product or service, honestly, especially if it's a service where they're going to have to work with you. So they have exactly, you know, it's getting me some ideas. Uh, One thing that I'm wondering about too, though, is, uh, is there a trick to keeping the budget low on the ads? Cause it seems like, yeah, that could get out of control. Watch them like a hawk. That's all I can tell you is like, I mean, there's a lot to know about Facebook ads. It seems easy. It's very deceptive. It seems easy to, to set up like, okay, here's my targeting and here's my budget, but it's not. I mean, once those ads start rolling and the frequency gets too high or um, I mean, to answer your question directly is to chunk everything out into different ad sets. And that way you can tell which ad is performing and which ad isn't. Do you want to turn off the lowest performing ad, turn on the highest performing ad, ramp up the juice on the budget on that one, right? So you just got to, I log in multiple times a day and just check my budget. Um, See, make sure your budget isn't draining too quick. It might drain by 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And maybe most people are going to watch your ad after they get off work and you're not hitting the majority of of your Mm -hmm. audience, right? So you just want to play or constantly be testing. That's what my all, my Upwork Mastery Bundle is about. It's like I constantly tested Upwork like crazy. Every aspect of Upwork was tested. Proposal variations, over 600 of them. How do, and that's how I got on the homepage of Upwork is be, they noticed me because I'm capturing like way more jobs than anybody else uh, because I just tested every part of their algorithm. And um, you just got testing everything to the smallest extent. Sounds exhausting, but that's really how you you break ahead. That's how you do something that 99% of the other people aren't doing, you know? So it might be, honestly, if you don't know about Facebook ads, go to Upwork, hire a Facebook ad professional, at least for the first month to get you in a rhythm, to get your campaign set up properly, and then Mm -hmm. learn from them and what they're doing. And it kind of almost is like training wheels on a bike until you don't have to pay them anymore. Gotcha. Well, we're kind of getting toward the end of the, of our time. I know that uh, there are some time constraints for some of the folks on the call. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there a good place to learn more about these approaches? Well, I mean, you could go to Google, type in direct response uh, marketing funnels. There's a lot of blogs. Uh, a lot of people that will try to sell you direct response marketing funnel setups. Heck, I'm, I do them too. You know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I do them for insurance adjusters and consultants, all, all sorts of people. Um, I have a class at Freelancer Masterclass on how to set up your own direct response funnel. But really, I mean, knowledge is power. Um, this isn't something that is um, you can easily learn in a half an hour. Um, I could have had a nine-hour podcast on this today and talked all about different parts of the funnel. Um, but really, if you want to learn how to create a direct response funnel, just start educating yourself. There's a lot of great content on YouTube and Google. Good deal. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Brooks, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, sure. So uh, my pick today is uh, an app called Blind. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's uh, it's basically you can ask questions about businesses, um, and, and get answers from people who work there and it's totally anonymous. Um, so it tends towards the large corporations, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and, and you can look up, you know, if, if you're working at some place, you can look up and see what people are either complaining about or, you know, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of good information on it. That's cool. nice. I'm downloading it now. Yeah. Never heard of it. Yeah. All right. Um, Brad, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, so pretty cold in the winter, uh, you know, in Ohio. And one of the things that uh, actually uh, from last week, Brooks was talking about is an electric blanket. And I was like, that's awesome. And, you know, I have a Yeti cup that I got like a gift a year or so ago, whatever. And it 
seriously is like amazing. I love hot coffee. And so like for tea, anything, it's going to keep it at the same temperature. It does. It works so much better than any other cup, even like the, the knockoffs. I've got one of those and it just doesn't work as well. So I'd highly suggest that. And then, uh, the other one is uh, actually, um, something that I've been playing around with is the splash pages and trying to get like the, the, you know, marketing funnel set up for myself. And one of the things I, I develop on uh, my websites are WordPress. And one thing that I've used is Elementor. And so I actually end up uh, getting Elementor. It's like a, a paid package for um, like editing WordPress. And it's just given me a lot of time back. Uh, it just makes it super simple to put all kinds of different cool stuff on the page and, uh, and, you know, just, keep your design simple and allow you to, to, you know, redesign your website really quickly. And, you know, as I've been playing around with like productized service offerings and things like that, I, it's, I've been changing things quite a bit and it's just saved me a ton of time. So Elementor, I'd highly suggest that. Nice. Um, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. One uh, is a TV show that I've been watching. It's uh, the man in the high castle and really been enjoying that. It's a, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain it other than um, it takes place in like the 1960s, except uh, the difference is, is that uh, Germany and Japan won World War II instead of uh, the Allies. And anyway, they, there's some crossover between like uh, what could have been, right? So there are um, film strips that they get that uh, show what our world looks like in the 1960s, right? or showed um, D-Day and things like that, where we actually beat the Nazis or beat Germany or beat Japan um, in the war. And so, you know, these people are trying to figure out as they resist, you know, these world powers that have taken over parts of the U.S. Um, you know, anyway, it, it's, it's a terrific show. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't want to give away too much more, but yeah, really enjoying that. Just finished the first season. Uh, the other one is, is, uh, and this came off of Views on View um, was a pick, and I realized that I really liked them too. There are some books out there by Raymond E. Feist. Uh, the first one, two are uh, Magician Apprentice and Magician Master. Um, I think they were originally one book called Magician, but um, anyway, it's I'm really, really enjoying that book on Audible, so uh, I'll pick that as well. Um, Mike, do you have some picks? Cool. I have one pick. It's a book I'm reading. It's fascinating. It's called Deep Work. It's by Cal Newport. Ah, good really tells you how to uh, how to stay focused and ways to increase your focus and um, how society is going in the wrong direction. And I like to hear stuff like that from an entrepreneur's point of view, um, although that sounds bad, is because there's opportunity there. And whenever something's going in the wrong direction, there's opportunity to put it in the right direction. And it really um, it helps helped me understand how terrible my focus and concentration really is and how great it could be. Um, so it's just a fascinating read and it's got thousands of great reviews, rave reviews. So I highly recommend Deep Work by Cal Newport. Nice. All right. Well, if people want to check out what you're doing, your podcasts, your courses, anything like that, yeah. uh, where do they find that stuff? Uh, podcast is Freelancer School. It's available everywhere. Podcasts are, you know, iTunes, Google Play. And uh, Freelancer Masterclass is my company. So just head on over to freelancermasterclass.com. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Um, thanks again, Mike. And You're thanks welcome. to our panelists. Thanks for having me. Been a pleasure. Yeah. We'll have another one next week. We're going to be talking about SEO. 
And in the meantime, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.